Abit, thanks so much for um, making the time to come on, mate. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, legend. I remember I um, It's funny that uh, I'm really glad you came on because I read an interview with you, geez, maybe a year or two ago, and um, I really enjoyed it, and I messaged you, and you were really kind, and you took the time to reply, and I really appreciated it. Um, I know you've been in crypto since, like, or you've been involved in crypto in one way or another since 2011. Like, how did you get started, man? Yeah. Uh, well, back then, I was in high school, was fairly young, um, just heard about this thing on, I think on 4chan or something. Uh, so, you know, I was very young, not knowing anything about finance or any of that. So that really resonated with me. It, it seemed like something that was made for me in some way. Uh, like, I, I didn't feel like um, the regular, quote unquote, system uh, kind of made sense to me when, while I was that young. So I kind of took an interest in it, um, and I started mining it a bit for fun. Uh, back in the day, it was uh, looking back now, uh, it seems like 2011 was uh, such an easy time. But actually, uh, it was already getting a, a little bit competitive as far as mining goes. Uh, I think the best time was like 2009, 2010. But in 2011, um, if you just had a regular computer, it was already quite a bit more difficult. Uh, so I'll try to mine a bit and then I was also, you know, playing wow and whatever, and I didn't want to, uh, use all my computer or my CPU to, to mine. So we'll stop it fairly often. It was nothing too serious. Then a few months later, I got a little bit more serious about it. Uh, tried to buy some, uh, basically back in the day, there were some USB sticks. They were basically small miners. Um, they will make it easier for you because you will not use your internal CPU and they will be a little bit more optimized to do that. So they're a bit better. So I got a bunch of those and mine a bit, but back in the day it was quite hard to see um, how serious this was, this was going to become. Um, so, uh, you know, it was not easy to, to be careful about it because maybe you mine for a week and you mine like $2 worth of, of that or, you know, in the last minute. Uh, so it was not easy to see that those $2 would, would be, you know, 10,000 bucks in the future. So I will be way less careful than I am now, obviously. Um, lost a few wallets, um, you know. But it was all pretty fun, pretty interesting stuff. And then after a while, when first few pennies started to, to come out, um, empty box, Kraken. Uh, I got on those, um, moved some stuff to Mt. Gox, um, and it's still there. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, I trading with just manually, just spot by itself. And and that was all directional at the start, or was that? Um, did you sort of have? Yeah. Were you just doing like directional stuff, or were you trying to? I know some early guys were like arbitraging different exchanges, and you know there'd be like percents out of line. Were you? doing that or yeah. not really you were more so just like um directionally uh trading it was too early um back in the day there were there was basically only mount gox and um and then later on kraken uh, um so there was not well I, I didn't even know what arbitrage was back then i was really young uh but even if i did uh, would not probably have done it because you know it was not that much money at the time so playing directional made more sense because uh, at the time was, you know, it was the first time that 
price really went parabolic in a meaningful way and uh, into three digits and four digits. So, you know, it felt like something was happening. So, clearly, I know. <laughs> so, like, why bother with why bother with trying to you know arb up a yeah, few percent when yeah. you can like double your money? Sort young of thing, so. and, and dumb, whatever, just balls to the wall. Yeah, legend. And so, like, what? So you start trading on Mt. Gox, which is you know pretty pretty incredible because that's like you know a hot minute ago when did you sort of um were you at like uni or something or was there a time where you sort of started doing it more i i know now you do it full time but was there when you were trading on mount gox was that serious trading or when did you sort of become more serious in your um in your activities no i wouldn't say that was serious um i had hopes obviously but um i didn't know much about it to be honest um, and I didn't think that would be my my future career or anything at the time. So um, I left after Mongox happened because I was kind of pissed about it, um, you know. And it really felt like um, like the industry was in a in a bad place. There was not industry really actually at the time, basically almost. So the main venue that just went down. So it felt like that could be it. Um, so for a few years, I, I didn't do any more training. I would just keep an eye on it. Every like couple of weeks, I would pull out a chart and just you know uh, check that things didn't take off without me too much. Uh, but I didn't really do anything. And for a few years, 2014, 2016, I just got my college degree. I got my my job. You know, um, actually, I. I had my dream career at the time. I did what I always wanted to do. So it was a pretty happy time. Um, started making some money. Uh, and then later on, I came back uh, at the beginning of 2017. I had some, some money to deposit. And uh, things were looking up. Ethereum had come out. And uh, it was started to, to rocket. It went from like $3 to like $80 or so. The time and um, so I redeposited and uh, I started trading again. And during 2017, it was quite a wild year, <laughs> so that's when I had to take it more seriously. So, so you've so you've got a career now. You've saved probably up a you know a few dollars or whatever. You've got a bit of cash. When you approached um, crypto again, what kind of um, how were you trading? What kind of strategies were you doing this time? I take it you know uh, there was a lot going on in 2017, so you probably had. A few things you could do yeah so the very first thing that i started doing um i i wasn't cracking at the time again because i still had my old account and i didn't know any new venue i didn't know bitmax yet so the first thing i did was uh try the kraken 3x leverage um uh, trading on ETH. so was, i started to manually do that and then you know over the first month or so i discovered bitmax and all the new venues that had come out at the time Bitrex and stuff. Um, so I moved to Bitmex, which was kind of the go-to place at the time. Um, it was where everything was happening, basically. And um, yeah, the, the main strategy that I ran in 2017, like the most profitable thing that I ever did was the BTC forks. Um, so in, I think, August and uh, the end of October, there were two forks. The first one was BTC Cash, and the second one was um, BTC Gold. Uh, which is kind of, it's kind of bullshit. Um, but basically, what I will do uh, is long, 
in the, in the week before the fork, in the days before the fork, just low leverage. And then um, when the fork was, was about to happen, like minutes before, I will go on the ETH, BTC, BitMEX uh, market, and I will basically uh, mirror the price of Bitcoin that will go down after the fork. So we'll have a counter, and in just one second before the fork, I will just, you know, short BTC, long ETH, heavily, uh, like 20x leverage, and, uh, you know, over a few minutes, I'll make 6x, 8x my equity, and then I will play the mirror version of that, a lower leverage. So basically, at every fork, I will 10x my stack. Uh, that was my most profitable thing. Mark um, was so inefficient about that. Now you will get, you know, things will be front front quite a bit. The price impact will be way less. At the time, it was wild. And how did you discover that? So, like, what, how did you find? Because that's pretty, I mean, it makes, it, I guess it makes sense. Like, retrospectively, of course, all these things make sense. But how did you, did you just see Bitcoin forks happen a few times and you just sort of, and you just sort of watch that happen, or how did you how did you come up with that? I guess. Um, just it just made sense. So, I think the first time I I really just tried to do it, and I had less money to lose, and then it worked extremely well. So the second time I did it even even better, and with much more money. So yeah, that was it. And then in that year, obviously there were many things happening. There were ICOs. Um, which I really wish I played better because they, they were an absolute moneymaker if you did them right. Um, I got on that kind of later. Um, then there was on BitMEX, you could scalp really, it was really fun to scalp at the time because the volatility was really high. And um, I remember, for example, one thing that I did was I got um, a cheap MIDI controller thing, so kind of like a um, like pads that DJ will use to to place like samples. I don't know if you ever saw one of those. Oh yeah, so like that a DJ that a DJ uses to um on their on their setup sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, kind of that thing. It was a USB MIDI thing, and uh, I built a, a little script to connect to BitMEX API, and so I will have keys um, for buy sell. Uh, stops, limit orders, um, leverage, all the settings on the UI. Uh, so basically, um, it was to, to scalp really, really fast. Uh, it was, you know, not tremendously useful, but it was kind of fun. Um, it was maybe the first time that I, I kind of sat down and really uh, concentrated on, on the microstructure of things, like, you know, waiting for the, the order book to, to flip and uh, almost take out the best task and just lift the ask at the last moment. Um, you know, obviously it was not what I'm doing now, but it was kind of my, my first approach uh, to, to faster stuff, really. And, and so like with that, so when you were scalping the order book, because I've heard a fair few people talk about this, scalping the order book on BitMEX. And um, I think even if you look back, um, that fucking idiot from uh, Alameda Research Sam Tribuco even talked about it. So it seems like, you know, a few people would, you know, that it, it, it could, it was possible and probably a bit less competitive than it is now. What was the strategy it was scalping on there? So, um, obviously I remember to 100% detail because it was quite a few years ago and I was much less knowledgeable, but 
basically what happened was that the spread was wider, there was less liquidity, and uh, the price moves were much more at much more impact in sense. Uh, like for example, right now, if you look at Bitmax and, and Binance, maybe the price um, moves a little bit on Binance, and then when it moves enough so that it makes sense for Bitmax price to move with a different tick size and different fee structure, then Bitmax immediately and very efficiently moves and doesn't move any more than it needs to because the bots are smart. First, they're all bots, you know, and then they're actually very smart. So they use ICO, uh, sorry, IOC and limit orders instead of markets. You know, they're careful. Back in the day, um, there was a lot of manual action and they were just slamming the market. So if the market moved up like, I don't know, $10, which was much easier back then, and I think it was higher, Big Max would move like 15, 20, you know, just in one week because people just ate in into 10 books. Um, so what I will do is usually lift the ask and then put a limit order at the same time a bit higher, like maybe $15 higher um, because you have the rebate. Uh, now, Bitmax free structure, I believe it changed to like five bits taker and one bit maker. At the time, it was 7.5 bit taker, and you had a 2.5 bit rebate on the maker. So basically, if you lift it and the press move immediately, and you had a limit order uh, sitting there, uh, you will get hit almost immediately, and you will pocket quite a bit of, of price change plus the rebate. Um, so it would be pretty easy to do. You're doing this in 2017. You've got the ICO, um, you've got the ICO trades and stuff. Were there any other strategies that you were doing back then that, like, um, you know, probably wouldn't that you know they sort of have expired, or was it was that was that your like main bread and butter things you were doing at the time? No, yeah, yeah, there were. Um, there were not not quantitative stuff uh, kind of do now, but uh, there were you know market regimes. For example, there was a time. Uh, on Bitmax, always um, where the volatility was really, really, really low for a while, and price didn't really trend up or down. It was literally flat in like a twenty, thirty dollars range, and then you will get weeks because I think Bitmax forced some liquidations, as far as I know. Um, so price will wick up like three percent, two, three percent, and then it will immediately revert, and that will go on for weeks, and then. We, we will have a pump that was real of like three or four or five percent, and then it will again range for two weeks. Uh, so, you know, there was there were many of those mini regimes happening, and then you will kind of realize that it was a new regime and, and see how it behaved. And so for a while, we'll kind of do a strategy around that. So, put limit orders here and there and uh, try to, to catch the liquidations. Yeah, it sounds like you were pretty on it straight away. Like, um, you know, like, like, kind not not exactly market making, but you know what I mean. Like, noticing that and then trading around it. So, so I guess, so so you do that 2017, and then obviously 2018, 2019. I wasn't there. Like, full disclosure, I wasn't trading this obviously, so I can't speak from experience. But from my understanding, things slow down a little bit. Um. What were you active in the market center? Was that sort of you took took a step back, or what? What kind? Of, what did you keep yourself busy with doing around then? Yeah. So the last example that I that I told you about the the weeks that was already in twenty eighteen. Um, it was already in lower volatility. So basically, I, I didn't do too bad in twenty eighteen. Um, for most of the 
year I did pretty well. Basically, the market did a big retraces. And then the worst part was when uh, the very low volatility came. So there was a moment for, uh, I think, a few months, two, two and a half months maybe, at the end of 2018, where price was a 6K. And it was at 6K on dot. So you will watch uh, you know, the tape and the order book for an entire day, an entire session. And it will move by, I don't know, like uh, 20 bips, 30 bips for hours. Like slowly going up like 20 bips and then it will go down again and it will keep going. Like it was just uh, the most boring thing. Like people watch the grass grow, it'll be more exciting. And uh, that was kind of kind of bad because you will try to force trades because um, you know you don't get any action for months. So we'll try to, to still do something. And uh, there was no way to make money because um, you couldn't even cover the fees really. So that was pretty boring. And then um, when the market dropped to 3K, um, I lost a little bit of money in the subsequent few months. And then there was a good run after that. So yeah, I, I kept working on it. Um, that was around time, uh, 2018, 20, beginning of 2019, where I realized uh, that I didn't want to do this manually uh, much longer. Because, um, you know, when you start out, it, it seems easy. It seems like you just click a few buttons and uh, it just works for you. And that was the case in 2017 because obviously when everything, when, when the game is easy, you, like, you know, it's a, it's a whole different thing. Uh, but you don't know, when you start, you, you don't know that it's not always like that. So um, it was just a, a very lucky period in, in time. And I, I realized that. Um, so actually doing that full time over multiple years, it's basically this kind of same lifestyle that you would have as an athlete, where you have to be in shape, especially mentally, but also physically. Um, you know, because I realized that your mood and how you're feeling and your mental state can impact, will impact your PNL and your chakra much more than anything else, really. I realized that uh, for a while, for a couple of months, um, I was doing well. And then, you know, I would sleep less, get more stressed. Um, and suddenly I would make bad decisions. I will be impulsive. Uh, I would size not properly. I will go over my risk limits. Um, and I will ruin months of work just because I get stressed out for a week, maybe for something even completely unrelated. So I, I didn't feel I was didn't feel like I was actually making progress that I could build on. Like it felt like a, a good run and not something that I that I can build over years and years. I'm talking for me personally, but maybe other people can do that, right? So I felt like it was not the perfect thing for me and I wanted to move to something uh, a little bit less on the front line, maybe, if you wanna call it that. Uh, something that I could build on and build some skills that were also transferable. And um, I kind of like the fund trading uh, lifestyle, if you want to call it that, uh, better because, you know, you just let the boss do their thing. And when you work, you're not working literally, you know, literally trading, but you're actually, it feels like uh, it's more slow motion in a sense. 
like you watch things happen and then you think about it and you make decisions and you change settings, you change things, you build code and you sleep on it and you know, you keep tinkering and then you deploy a new version and you try it out again, you know, it's a little bit more. It's a lot different to being like, it's like being the general versus a soldier. Exactly, yes. You put it way better than I did. Yeah. <laughs> like when you're when you're so well I, I can speak from experience right because when you're so in the trenches and you're doing it it's like you know it's a lot harder and then when you sort of take a step back you're like okay what am i actually telling these bots to do so um and just uh, just one last thing on that 2017 uh, uh, to 18 period like i can imagine that you know a lot of people probably thought well you know like right now people are talking about how crypto is dead you know and a lot of, you know, it's a bit of a consensus, like, yeah, it's over, you know, what was it like, w you know, were you talking to other traders on, on Twitter around then, or, and if so, like, what was the sort of zeitgeist for people like, yeah, that was the high watermark, like 20k is the highest Bitcoin's ever going to go, um, like, what what was sort of, what was, were people like, yeah, this is, that, that 2017 was the high watermark, or what were the, what was the, what was the thought process? Well, uh, yeah, there was a lot of that. Um, people, I think, a lot of people stayed even after 20K. Uh, when people really left was when we were at 6K in Nova Field. Because again, with, with low vol, it's that by a thousand cuts. Um, you know, not, uh, nobody enjoys that. And uh, it's difficult to trade whether you're quant trading and market making or discretionary stock, whatever, whatever you're doing. Um, there's not many ways to make money out of that. Um, so I think that's when people really left. And then when it dropped to 3K, everybody was talking to, uh, I was talking about, um, you know, that it would possibly go to zero. If just, if a bunch more liquidations happened because there was not enough liquidity in the books to support another like major um, sell-off. So it felt like we were really close to to, you know, to, to that, but in the way I think about it, um, even if that happened, um, price would eventually, you know, it would, it would be a good opportunity. Imagine if there was another liquidation event from 3k and there was no liquidity and the price dropped to like, I don't know, 1k or whatever. I mean, if you want to leave, leave. For me personally, it's a good opportunity and, uh, you know, there is a good chance that other people think the same way and buy that dip and something happens or keeps happening in the coming future. So whatever, I'm, I'm in this, so I'll keep playing, you know? So that's, so okay, cool. And then, so it comes to 2020 and this is kind of a, well, I'll start off with this one. Like, were you trading March, 2020? Um, if so, what kind of strategies were you running around then? And, um, you know, what was it like? Because I was working in finance at that point in time and, you know, it was pretty forlorn because, you know, and that was in TradFi. So I imagine in crypto, it was, you know, I've seen the charts, like I, it was pretty forlorn. So were you active then? What was it like? And what, what strategies were you running? Yeah. So that was an interesting time because uh, that was about six, nine months after I started, um, you know, developing my quant stuff. So it was the, at the very beginning of my um, algo trading career, basically. And um, I was training less at the time because um, I was studying a lot of programming and uh, I was building a lot because when you 
are just starting out, you have to build a ton of stuff and you are not super good at it and you don't know how to, to do it properly. So it's very time consuming, much more than it needs to be. So I was actually training much, much less because um, if I were to code and look at the charts at the same time, you know, I would do both things, <laughs> you know, badly. So I'd rather do just one at a time. Uh, but I remember that night, especially when, when we went to 3K, um, I was in a, a Discord call with a bunch of friends and I remember watching it up in real time and uh, did some trades. But, um, you know, um, I wish I had some arbitrage going back then because that was a wild opportunity. And it was one of those times where I felt a little skeptical about going really ball to the wall long. And looking back, that's the best thing, even for like young and inexperienced people out there. I think when there is big events happening and the big players in the market itself, like market makers, are getting blown out and are having obvious difficulties keeping up with events, I think that's when there is uh, enough juice on the table that there's not enough people to pick it up. And I think that's your best moments to strike and be convinced. Uh, obviously, uh, yeah, you know, it could still all go to zero. <laughs> we weren't really close there. Uh, but that's also your best moments to pick up something that is not difficult to do at all. You know. Uh, it's, um, it's always easier said than done, though, because, <laughs> you know, when you're... When you're um, I, I completely agree. I remember in 2022, when um three when um three hours capital blew up and um you know Ethereum went to like eight hundred bucks or like eight 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 and um and I just remember I was like this is this is mental and you know they were unwinding their collateral they were trying to sell everything so they could not you know what I mean and um and then when FTX blew up in Dece in November yeah November sorry and um I I thought to myself like they're probably gonna have a lot of collateral they're gonna try to sell like people are gonna sell a lot of collateral and then I think Bitcoin hit like 15 grand and that was low and, it, you know, it's doubled since. But um, I thought, I just thought there'd be more collateral to sell. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So it, it must have been kind of weird though, because so crypto's like gone into this, like, you know, it's used for money laundering and all this sort of thing. And then in 2020 and 2021, it becomes totally mainstream. And like, you know, everyone wants a, wants a piece of it obviously that I can imagine that would have been great for you and you're, you know, you would have had a lot of flow. So what kind of strategies and what, what did you mainly, what were you mainly doing around 2020 to 2021? And what was it like that now everyone was sort of cared about your corner of the market that you'd been involved with, for uh, involved with for years? So the very first thing that I did, um, as far as quant stuff goes, was, uh, basically very trading. So, uh, basically would identify, of symbols that, that would have um, some, you know, exploitable relationship. The most famous one was Sol Serum spread. Um, so I will trade those and I try to, to build actual automated strategies around those. So I spent about a year and a half doing that. Uh, so that's what I was running in 2020 and 2021. Um, obviously, um, you know, um, at the time, there was a lot of time spent on the practical side of things, like uh, getting 
server setup and not crashing and, and uh, behaving well uh, during volatility and uh, you know not having hiccups. So that was where I spent a lot of time uh, in the early days. And uh, later on, that was an interesting experience because I now do a lot of statistical arbitrage, uh, which is in a way kind of similar. It's just much more expanded and, and much more uh, well done. Um, so in, in between those two, I also had a period of about one and a half years where I focused on HFT a lot and market making. So I also run some market making strategies now. Um, but yeah, I, I wish really, I really had the time to dive into all those things at once. Uh, there's a lot of very fascinating things um, that are doable, uh, but really you gotta pick one realistically and just focus your energies on that. Yeah, I completely agree. And like, um, I was just talking to someone the other day, and it's like, what's do you, do you research other trades when you're when you're when you've got? Are you always looking for new trades? Was the question, and the answer is like, if I've got a winning strategy, no. You know what I mean? Because I'm focusing all my time on that. I'm trying to spend as much time as I can trying to capitalize on that. So, yeah, uh, that 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 makes sense. So, like, um, so you're market making, you're doing all these things, you're learning about, and, and have you got a day job throughout 2020 and 2021? Like, are you are you working or are you full time trading? So I went full time when COVID hit, because basically um, when I started doing one stuff in 2019, I was doing part time, and then. Uh, my job got hit pretty bad by COVID, uh, so I did. I was wasn't working much for about one and a half months, two months, and so I just said, pretty much fuck it, and I just went all in. I had some savings, and uh, why not? I was also, yeah, I was also a little bit tired of it. I guess um, it was a job that I always wanted to do, but when you do it, when you actually do it uh, full time, you realize that the good parts that you liked about that job, uh, you don't really have much time to do them, actually. Like, you have more time to do them when you do it as a hobby, maybe. But when you really do it full-time, the things that matter are dumber things, uh, like more evident things, and not the cool details that you think about, you know? So actually, it's, um, it, it's, it's completely different when you actually do it. Uh, so I wasn't enjoying it as much anymore, and I guess I was looking for a new challenge and something different to do. It, yeah, hundred percent. Even trading's like that sometimes, you know, because like I always wanted to be a trader, and then I'm doing it now, you know, and it's like, oh, far out. This is like sometimes, you know. It's, I, so I definitely get that. So, so once you're do so. The sort of bull market dies down in 2022. The music kind of stops. Right, so like, you know, Terra Luna, Three AC, and eventually FTX. Did your strategies shift? Because in twenty twenty one, there was a lot of flow. You know, like there was a lot, there was a lot of stuff coming in. There was there was constantly new and exciting things coming out. Like things were pretty much, you know, things were going up only, so you could, you know, leverage along and just ride that out. Did your strategies change towards? 2022 like did you have to did some of your things that were profitable stop being profitable or 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 anything like that so you sort of had to sh like change up what you were doing uh so after 2021 i started doing market making and it's something that i still keep doing 
to this day. And uh, I usually do that on less competitive places because competing on, for example, Binance Futures um, on the big tickers like BTC and ETH, it's extremely competitive. And uh, especially from an infrastructure standpoint, uh, you need a team to to handle that. And uh, uh, you know, I tend to do it on less competitive places, uh, less competitive exchanges, and that's why it works really well. Uh, you've seen the screenshots that I posted last month for the month of May, where I posted a, a plot of like 40 plus live sharp ratio. That kind of stuff um, keeps working and uh, it's doable even for a smaller team like me, basically. And um, uh, it's also constrained in terms of capacity, obviously, because you can't scale it up to millions. Um, so you have to have a portfolio of those things running if you want to make a meaningful money. And so that's one of the reasons why I was also doing startup and I, I'm still doing it. And on FTX, we were able to accommodate much more capacity during startup. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that was our main strategy in terms of PNL in 2022. And, it, and on FTX, I mean, it's kind of over now, so I suppose it's if, if you're comfortable talking about it, what kind of like, like to get into the nitty gritty, were you like trading the futures against the perps or, because um, I know a lot of guys were doing, you know, um, convergence trades and, and statile with stuff like that, where things would just get way out of line or was there, or was it just like sort of similar coins that shared, you know, statistical, you know what I mean, that, that usually move together or what kind of... What were you trading and what kind of trades were they? The latter. So uh, we were trading baskets of different coins. Um, we were also doing, I was in move contracts and some of that, you know, a bit more uh, systematic way. Uh, but regarding startup, we were not doing futures really. We were doing some basis. Um, so we were kind of market making, I guess, but just doing basis and capturing the spot perps and some funding rates, uh, but mostly for startup, no, we were just doing, uh, you know, baskets of different coins, uh, everything to, was down the perks and square uh, And what would your holding period be for those? So for those, depending on the capacity, so if you are looking for a very high capacity, obviously uh, you cannot trade opportunistically, like get in and get out of positions. So you have to have uh, positions always on, basically. So you have to manage your turnover in such a way that is kind of smooth and executed over time because you don't want, if you're trading, let's say, like $10 million, um, and a lot of those contracts are not very liquid, you cannot just land the book when a new signal, for example, let's say you're trading a daily signal, you cannot slam the book at midnight, right? So you have your, uh, you need to have your signal uh, continuous and you need to have uh, your execution optimized to trade that over time. And uh, basically what we'll do uh, is market making up to our desired position continuously. So we will basically have quotes on basically 24 seven almost, and um, you know get into new positions slowly and in a cost efficient way and uh, never let your deltas you know, and your beta be too much out of line and um, yeah, it will be it. 
Yeah, it's crazy, like, how many, I mean, we know now why, right? Like, but, yeah, we, it, there was so many great trades on there. So, um, yeah, that's, yeah, it's, it's insane. So, 2022 happens, it knocks, uh, you know, FTX knocks a lot of people around, um, obviously me included, and like, a lot of my friends. What, um, because there was so many great trades on there, what, you know, from there till now, have you been sort of, have you switched up the type, the type of strategies you're doing now? Like, are you just doing more of the same, but on different venues or focusing more on market making or how do you sort of spend your time now? So after FTX went down, uh, we went to Binance, um, mainly because that's where most of the liquidity is. Uh, so we adapted everything to run Binance and we basically rebuilt half of the infrastructure that we use for startup because, um, wanted to be more competitive, I guess, what we were running on FTX was made at the beginning of 2022. So we wanted to upgrade it a bit. And we're still working on that. We're still uh, putting on new factors and uh, improving things. But yeah, it's been it's been working nicely. Um, and then I also focused on scaling up the smaller market making strategies on niche places that I was talking about earlier. Um, I realized that, um, you know, I guess I, I gave them more importance uh, before, I guess, in 2022, I was kind of looking, looking down on them. Like, you know, uh, they're not as important as, as the, the bigger capacity things, but actually, uh, you know, they've been supporting me uh, throughout the FTX fiasco. So I kind of uh, went back on them for a few months and uh, improved them um, and scaled them up. Now they're maxed out and uh, do pretty well. And there's a lot to learn on smaller markets as well, because when there are a lot of players like on Binance Twitter, for example, um, it's harder to see what each player is doing. Uh, well, if you are trading on, on smaller venues, uh, it's much easier to just look at your book and notice patterns, notice um, specific players moving quotes around it in a way that you can track. And there's a lot to learn. Um, and also, infrastructurally speaking, a lot of quirks about venues and placements and APIs and uh, matching engine and shenanigans and things that um, you can use to your advantage. So definitely something I would recommend doing there. I, I definitely agree. And like, um, I, I sort of have a joke with some of my friends how whenever I um, talk about a strategy or someone tells me a strategy and I'm like, oh, no, that's, you know, you can't get any volume in that. Or, oh, no, it's too liquid. That's too small. It's almost like you should stop what you're doing and investigate because if everyone thinks that, you know, there's probably a good edge there because if everyone thinks that, you know, someone is there probably carving it up. And I couldn't agree more. I've had strategies where I, it's low capacity. Like I couldn't put, you know what I mean? Like I couldn't get size on, but the the amount of money I do have in there, it, it generates like, you know, quite, quite reasonable. You know what I mean? Like it makes money sort of thing. Um, So if you get a portfolio of those, you're laughing. Cool. Oh yeah. So when, with that, so when you're trading on these smaller venues, are you trading like you don't have to answer this, but like, are you just trading like Bitcoin and and like the majors, or are you trading like more esoteric coins? That because I can imagine trading Bitcoin on Binance, trying to make markets there, it's like the most competitive market in crypto. There's just you know there's no way. But 
on are you just trading the majors on um smaller venues or are you trading sort of esoteric coins well whatever has volume really um so the difficult part is that if you are not careful about how you build your systems um the problem with having a portfolio of many smaller things running is that you're going to spend all of your time managing those babysitting those bots so Today, I'm very careful about how I manage uh, whatever hiccups that might happen. So I have a lot of um, safety measures and um, automatic restarts for things if they crash. And uh, basically, I don't have to wash them at all. I, I can just wash the PNL like once a week and, you know, no crashes in the last several months. So that's something really important that you have to do if you want to scale, because otherwise, if you want to do two, three, four of those systems, you're not going to have a life anymore. You're going to have to sleep with your phone on with alerts for whatever might happen, monitor everything 24 seven. And at that point, um, unless you have a bigger team, you cannot grow anymore. So you need your time to grow and build more systems. So that's a crucial part of the practical side of things. So actually, I prefer maybe to do, um, I prefer if there was any risk, I would prefer to size down, but have more time and peace of mind to keep working on things rather than doing something that feels risky to me and I don't feel comfortable doing. For example, I might not feel comfortable holding uh, much money on a shady venue, but then uh, I will have to pay a lot of attention to it and that's kind of productive in the long run, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. And plus, like, we all have, you know, I know we're all pretty active on Twitter and stuff, but we all have lives outside, you know, like, I've got a girlfriend, I've got friends, you know what I mean? I like to go and do, I like to spend some of this money I'm making or losing. So, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, especially when, you, when you're so deep in it. It's like, <laughs> you know, have less stress or whatever. Um, so, I guess, like, do you, uh, this is just related to what we were just talking about, but... You've seen this. So if you think about how long you've been in crypto, you've been in crypto more or less for over 10 years. So you've seen it go up and down and up and down. Are you sort of in the mindset? Like, I know, of course, we, we're not in the prediction game or anything like that. Are you sort of thinking like, look, you know, it's going to ha- another cycle will happen again. It might take five years. It might take 10 years, but at some stage in the future, you know what I mean? So you, because you know, for people like me who have only been around for like the, the last part of the cycle we just had, it's like, maybe this is it. You know what I mean? So I know we're not in the forecasting game, but I'm just kind of interested because you've been doing it for so long. Mm-hmm. Well, I think with next halving, there's likely going to be another run up. Um, I think right now we're in a situation where all the news, basically all the news is negative. There's not much... Uh, you know, innovation um, out there uh, like there was in DeFi summer and with ICOs and all those things in the previous rounds. But I'm pretty sure something will come up. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not super... Um, uh, there is not anything right now that I would say, okay, this is it. But I'm pretty optimistic that at the right time something will come up because, you know... Um, there are also a lot of people and developers that know when to throw out their ideas. I remember uh, back in DeFi summer, and uh, I mean, a lot of uh, good projects had 
uh, hard types and stuff that they do. They were waiting for the market to, to pump a bit to have uh, a good environment and good market regime to launch their ideas. Maybe they will sit on them for months. So I'm hopeful that something will come up. The difference now is that there's a lot of um, correlation to geopolitics and you know big events that we're living through right now. So I just hope that the situation in the real world uh, doesn't deteriorate in any meaningful way. So I hope there is stability in the Shopify markets, if you want to put it that way, for crypto to, to flourish. Because honestly, I don't think it's a huge hedge against any big uh, economical recession in the real world. So I think if we, if our 2008 happens, I think crypto goes down with it, honestly. I think if the down moves, better goes up and uh, crypto goes down. I guess like just moving on to some pretty general questions now, because we covered a lot of nitty gritty um, stuff, which obviously I really enjoyed and I think everyone else will as well. Do, you know, you've been doing this for a while. So do you have any advice to like, but you're still relatively young yourself. Do you have any advice to younger traders or traders who are just starting off and they're trying to make sense of this environment or this, you know, these, these crypto markets and they're trying to work out how to, you know, go about it sort of thing? Yeah, I will say pick up the free money on the floor um, when it happens, like be it once a year, twice a year. I think that's the best advice that I've been given and the best advice to give. So don't stay there 24-7 just clicking and, uh, you know, wasting a lot of money on fees. Just study and look at what's happening in the market and, and try to build an understanding of it. But really, the time to, to pounce is when a big event happens, everybody's in distress, and there is money on the table to pick up for free. So that's your best bet. And also, we'll say... Uh, don't spend a lot of time paper trading uh, if you're doing that manually because uh, the psychological aspect is not there. You should do that in a quantitative way uh, because it's not realistic. Like you're going to fall into so many uh, traps. Doing Sorry, that. man. So yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's going to take you years to, to get something decent out of a simulation, like a, a realistic simulation. So I would rather say, just build something simple in Python, just deploy it and run it live for real with a hundred bucks. See what happens and, you know, get your hands dirty. I think even MGMR um, said that he's like in in uh, one of his podcasts, he's like, just put a hundred bucks up, just do it. You know what I mean? Don't, don't just, just get something running. You, uh, just something you said there. So um, when you said when there's free money, pick it up. And I've heard this, you know, I've heard, obviously MGM, like I've heard this a few times. When was the last time there was free money on the table? And what are some examples of trades where you would say like the risk to reward was so skewed, you would in fact call it free money? Because I don't think you would say that lightly. So are there any examples or when was the last time you, you had that opportunity? Well, the most recent and very obvious one that came to mind was when FTX went down. So um, when FTX went down, if you went on Binance, um, and well, it's kind of, well, let me reward that. So when FTX went down, if you went on Binance, for example, um, I'll look at my fair price of my market making bot against Binance fair price. And it's usually obviously pretty close uh, within bits 
But when FTX came down, went down for the next uh, few days, uh, it was way, way, way off. And my fair price would move in a really, really predictive way. Uh, so there was so much money to be made just simply um, using the fact that a lot of market makers were in distress because they lost a lot of money and they were sizing down uh, on all venues, presumably. And um, yeah, the market was really inefficient for a few days. And then liquidity came back gradually over the course of one, maybe two weeks. And everything stabilized and went back to normal. But in, in just the next two, three days after FTX went down, it was so easy to predict uh, pretty big moves. Yeah, that's incredible. And that's just because, like, yeah, I suppose it makes sense because there's, you know, there's less people available providing liquidity. So you're able to do that by looking at the fair price. Yeah, I mean, just building a simple fair across, you know, multiple spot venues, a uh, few perks. So, um, and, and I, I know you said you're in a you're in a team. So, um, or oh, you you what you have been you know what I mean. You work with some people. What like have you had any funny stories or anything happen where you just sort of turned to maybe someone in your team? And you're like, this is so fucked, or like. Maybe it was a big loss or a big gain, or have you had any sort of funny stories that have happened to you on the desk that you know just sort of um, just that might be worth sharing? Because it is trading stories. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess the uh, the funniest one that comes to mind that I remember with a smile was um, in twenty seventeen uh, towards like November, um, October, November. I think uh, it was moments where there was a big retrace. So, Bitmax was very much driven by liquidations. So uh, price will really overextend and then there will be liquidation cascade both ways and I think the internal desk kind of liked that. <laughs> um, so there was one of those moments and I remember I was long and uh, I was quite levered up. And I went out to have dinner at a restaurant with some friends and uh, in this place the phone signal was not very good. And so during dinner, I get like an alert on preview that price dropped by a lot. And I tried to go out and I tried to, um, when I went out of the restaurant, it was raining. I was out in the rain, just covering my screen with my hand, trying to log in on BitMEX to see if I had been liquidated or not. And I couldn't remember my password. <laughs> and it was not saved on my phone. It was saved on my laptop. And um, I couldn't log in, so I was just standing there in the rain for 15 minutes trying to, to log in and try to close this position. And, and then I saw the price just going way down a huge week. I, I was 100% sure that I got liquidated. Uh, I went back in, I, I had dinner, I couldn't eat, I was feeling so bad. And I went back home and price got $2 away from my liquidation. It didn't liquidate me and I was back in profit. And that was very funny. <laughs> Man, I could so picture your friends, like, you going out, and they're like, what is, like, what's Arbit doing in the rain? And you're just, like, head in your hands, trying to log yes, in, like, just, <laughs> yeah, I could so picture, yeah, like, I've been out, like, going... them, obviously, so. Oh, yeah, and tr non-traders will never understand, like, you know what I mean? It's like, I suppose, like, you know, if you're a cop or you're a nurse or you're in the army, like, only people who do it get it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, that's funny. As I, yeah, I've been out with friends or my girlfriend or something, and something's happened, and they're like, "What's wrong?" And I'm like, "It'll take me too long, like, to explain." And I suppose um another thing is also like you 
you know, have you, did you have any trading mentors along the way or like anyone who gave you any wisdom or someone who sort of, because I know that, um, you know, you didn't come from a prop, from my understanding, which could be incorrect, but I believe you didn't come from a prop background. So like, like myself, you might not have been able to spend a lot of time around older traders to short, sort of show you a few ropes. So did you have anyone that sort of might have helped you out early on or even to this day? Yeah, that's correct. Um, I'm mostly self-taught. Um, I did have a lot of people help me along the way, and uh, most of them I met through this community on, on Twitter, on Discord. Um, I've met a lot of people who work in Tratify, work in crypto, work at big desks, um, you know, mark makers, you name it. And uh, I've met a lot of friends, and um, I guess I didn't have one mentor that really took me under his wing, but um, I've had a lot of people willing to uh, help me and I did my best obviously to help other people uh, in the past two or three years. Um, so I did have a lot of people, uh, you know, explain to me um, little parts of things that I didn't understand. And uh, I guess it's kind of crowdsourced mentoring, if you want to call it that. So obviously nobody's going to tell you their secret sauce or anything, you know, uh, but if you ask the right questions to people uh, who you trust and if they trust you and you provide some kind of value to them, they might be willing to explain to you a little small details of specific things. And then it's up to you to kind of reconstruct the puzzle um, and do it your own way. It's so true. And, and you can tell where someone is at from their questions. Like I get a lot of... Um direct messages on Twitter and, you know, I really do try to respond to everyone because like I said at the start of the interview, you know, you were so kind to re reply to me last year and, and answer some of my questions, so I try to, but yeah, when, when you get messages sometimes and they're kind of like, oh, you know, how do you do this or very simple stuff, it's like, man, you're not really serious about this, you know, yeah, <laughs> if, if you were, you would have like, you know, you'd respect my time or you, you'd Google this or whatever, so. um, yeah. The best questions were usually there are people and then that's what I try to do too. Sometimes you get people who are like, hey, so listen, I've done X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. And like really get into the details of what they're doing. And then they ask you a very specific question, like given that I did all this, why doesn't this work in that way? And if it's a very specific question and it shows that you really put in your time and work, then it's, you know, it's worth to reply. Well, you kind of feel obligated because you're like, all right, yeah, this exactly. guy's like, this guy's going to rip his hair out. You know, like he's yeah, trying exactly. every which way. So it's like, I at least, des I, I, oh, and, um, is there, I, uh, we've gone through a lot of the questions. Is there anything that, like, um, maybe, is there any, uh, is there any, uh, closing remarks or anything that you sort of want to say to people, like, if they're thinking about joining crypto or, like, um, just, anything like that like maybe misconceptions that you had that you think or just like wise words that you wish someone had told you a few years ago to make you know that might have helped you well don't use neural networks <laughs> <laughs> man you gotta add liquidity goblin don't don't get him in here you two will hit it off <laughs> yeah don't do that uh i think do simple things well uh it's you know apply that to everything i think really focus on linear regressions um you know spend months years on that uh do competitive things in uncompetitive places to quote robert james i will say yeah 
And most importantly, I think you have to be able to recognize when the gains are easy and size up. Because there are moments uh, where not even the best of the best can really make much when volatility is low, when market conditions are really tough. And then there are moments where any idiot will press a button and print money. And people don't realize how much of an impact that has on the outcome of your operations. So I think a really good skill to have is be able to recognize when, like in which of those conditions we are right now and size accordingly. And don't feel too bad if you cannot make money in a super difficult month, in a super difficult regime. Like it's, it's more important to just, you know, sit it out and then when things are looking good, you just know when to floor it. Oh, I just survive. Like just hold on. You know what I mean? Because like, that's what I tell myself when they're going, when it sort of gets a bit tough. I'm like, you know, just hold on because you know, good trades are, it might be a month. It might be, you know what I mean? But you got to do the work. You got to be looking for them. But yeah, I, I definitely agree. And, um, I, and just one thing though, cause I always, you know, take the opposite side, but you said when the conditions are good, put your foot down, you know, how would one know when the conditions are good? Like everything's just up only, like things are just going one way and, or just like your strategies are just pumping and they're working really well. Is that, is that when your P&L reflects it, that it's, that it's working well? Um, well, that's, that's one of the things, for example, um, if you're doing out trading, your own P&L can be a pretty good signal, a pretty good predictor of your future P&L or, of, or the way the market will go, depending on what you do. So definitely there's our correlation in that. Uh, but if you are more of a discretionary trader, more of a younger guy starting out, um, I think the concept is when there is inflow, like when there is a lot of people coming in and depositing money and starting to trade and competition kind of goes down, volumes go up, um, that's a good moment. Uh, and you can see that obviously in every bull run. You can see that in DeFi summer, when, you know, um, that's volumes go up and all that. Um, it's really, I don't, I don't remember who said that exactly, but I remember reading about um, somebody defining a, a bubble, and not by saying the, it's, that it's when prices go up parabolically, but it's when there is nobody left to put money in a thing. So... That, that I think that's a very good, a very interesting concept. So uh, prices can really go up way more than you think. Um, but really, the, the problem is when there is no more inflow because everybody is already in the game. And so the only thing that people do is get out, really. So when a lot of people are getting in, that's probably the easiest signal to spot when your friends are talking about it, when there is a, you know, the, the Coinbase app is number one at the Apple Store. When volumes are going half sale for months, you know that's that's other those are the easiest way to spot it. Yeah, and and yeah, I mean you can tell you, I can tell the type of trading you do when you talk about flow because, yeah, like once you. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree, my man. And um, and just and just for people listening, because I know we've got some YouTube followers who aren't on Twitter. Where if someone wanted to um speak to you or something, are you on you're on Twitter? I know, but maybe <laughs> what's what's your handle? Where do, where do people find you? <laughs> yeah, um, I'm Arvin on Twitter, and my analyst at crypto underscore hates. How do you spell hates? 
H-A-D-E-S. So crypto underscore H-A-D-E-S. <laughs> Legend. Well, thanks so much for having me on. Thanks so much for coming on, man. I'll just, I'll hit stop now. And then we just got to wait a second for it to upload. But thanks so much, man. <laughs>